Hello, and welcome back to the Double Double on KLJX LP here in Flagstaff. I'm your host, Gabriel Dixon, joined by my co-host, as always, Dallas Cooper. How are we doing, Dallas? Oh, I'm doing good tonight. How about you, man? Not bad at all. And for our guest of the half hour, we got Michael. How you doing, Michael? Doing great. Great Wednesday evening. And we're going to be talking some football for this first half hour. First off, we got a nice surprising game. Cowboys have been doing really good since, since Dak Prescott went down with his injury. A lot of people are seeing Cooper Rush maybe as a potential starting quarterback. They defeated the Washington Commanders this last week, 25-10. to 10. Very interesting game to watch. Puts the Cowboys up 3-1. to one. A lot of people are seeing this team, honestly, as a pretty respectable team in the NFC East. Maybe even someone that can contend with the Philadelphia Eagles. Cooper Rush not looking too bad so far, Dallas. What's your uh, what's your observation so far on, on Cooper Rush? Do you think he can really be a starting quarterback in this league? I mean, let me read the stat lines to you. In his three starts, he was 60% completion percentage, 737 passing yards, four touchdowns, and zero interceptions. Now, you tell me, is that a reliable quarterback in the NFL? I'd have to say no at the end of the day, but he's getting it done, man. They got wins when they're, when they're there, you know? A lot of people say that's not really a quarterback stat at the end of the day, wins and losses. Michael, what, what's your analysis of Cooper so far? Well, to me, I think he's been a great game manager. And I know a lot of people, that's a negative connotation, but Tom Brady's the greatest game manager of all time, so that's, that's no slack on him. To me, I don't think there's this huge quarterback controversy that's trying to that everyone's trying to circulate. I think that Dak's going to come in whenever whenever he can, but it does alleviate the pressure for Dak to to come back in. He can be he can take his time, get 100%. They don't have to rush him because Cooper Rush can keep him afloat. To me, the biggest takeaway from this is that it shows how the Cowboys win. Whenever Dak throws a lot, I, I look back to 2019 and when Dak threw more than 40 passes, the Cowboys were 4-12. and 12. So they shouldn't rely on him to be that guy because he's not in the upper echelon. They just need him to be uh, a good quarterback for them. And I think they can carry this forward, see what Cooper Rush did, and implement it with Dak, and they can keep winning games. They're, they're going to be a really good team this year. It's going to be interesting what happens to them coming up. Uh, their schedule is interesting. They got the Philadelphia Eagles coming up after this Los Angeles Rams game this Sunday. So they have a tough schedule. The next two games, I honestly expect them to take home some losses. Uh, what about you, Dallas? Do you expect them to maybe walk away with a win against one of these uh, primetime teams? The Cowboys have the talent on both sides of the ball to overcome a quarterback loss as long as, you said, he's a solid game manager. In Every game so far that Cooper Rush has been in, he has shown that he is a solid game manager. Is he wowing you with crazy plays? Absolutely not. But is he getting you the solid five-yard slant, maybe 10-yard out, getting the first down? Absolutely. At the end of the day, they're trusting Ezekiel Elliott. You're trusting Tony Pollard. You're trusting your receivers, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup. They have guys there. Dalton Schultz at tight end. There's talent on the offensive side of the ball. So I think they can get a dub against some of these top teams. But I think this has to beg a question. A lot of Cowboy fans has been expressing a lot of upset at Kellen Moore. 
yet Kellen Moore, when your his starting quarterback goes down, has been perfect. That's got to beg a question that maybe it's not the offensive coordinator's fault, and some of it has to be the blame on the quarterback. Yeah, Kellen Moore, is, he is an interesting situation. A lot of people saw him kind of as the savior after – Man, I'm forgetting his name, but the guy that was the offensive coordinator for the Giants for a couple of years and was coaching for, was the head coach for the Dallas Cowboys for a long time. I'm forgetting, something Garrett? Uh, Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett, Jason yeah. Garrett. A lot of people saw Kellen Moore as, as the savior after that guy left. And it's honestly, I kind of see it that way as well, too. They've been a little bit more not one-dimensional on offense. I mean, they're 3-0, and and they're in a three-game win streak this past couple uh, weeks. And then the Los Angeles Rams, I'm honestly seeing them not as that strong of a team. They're slipping. You obviously see cracks in the offense and on defense for that team. They just lost to the San Francisco 49ers, who my Chicago Bears somehow beat in week one. So Los Angeles Rams really have to really have to bowl down for this game. But I think the Cowboys have a chance at this one, honestly, especially when it comes to the run game. They have a nice two-headed monster right now. And Cooper Rush is not doing too much on offense. And they're still winning games. I think that's that's a great sign. Do you think the Los Angeles Rams need to win this game, Michael? Honestly, Lat, I, I agree with what you said. The Rams are slipping. They've been atrocious on offense this season, which is really surprising, all the things they've did. But, you know, their pieces just haven't come together. And looking on the road ahead, they have the, like you said, the Rams and Eagles. And then they have the Lions and Bears. So I could honestly see the Cowboys starting 6-2 and two this season and not without even Dak. So I think they're, they're in a real good start. And like I said before, you don't have to rush Dak in. Just let Cooper Rush manage the game and see where you go from there. No rushing Dak. Keep Cooper Rush in there. I like to hear that one, honestly. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting situation. I think Mike McCarthy needs to do a little bit more as far as getting the team prepared. Who knows that Dak Prescott was, honestly, I mean, that, that week one game wasn't that great, obviously, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They didn't look good at all. I think they walked away with three points that game. Yeah, three against 19. Tampa Bay is an elite defense. Tampa Bay is an elite defense for sure, for sure. But if if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you at least like to convince yourself you have an elite offense at the same time. Hopefully at least put up a touchdown. Yeah, like actually, you know, so... It's going to be an interesting situation, but one one person I wanted to ask you guys about on this team was going to be the man, the myth, and mainly just the myth, honestly, at this point, and that's going to be Ezekiel Elliott. This guy, I feel like, hasn't been himself ever since he took that trip to Cabo a couple years ago, you know, trying to get that contract situation figured out, and ever since he has, he hasn't looked like that man. People are starting to start Tony Pollard in their fantasy lineups over Ezekiel in the flex spot, things like that. Do you think Ezekiel Elliott is the engine to this team? Do you think that it's necessary for him to get going for this team to look at at the top or the top tier that they can, Michael? Well, to me, I think Zeke, you know, he's still relatively young, 27, but you see the carries that he's taken over the past years. It's a lot. And running backs age like dog years in this league, and we've seen that before. And I think he can still be a really good you know, running back, like the two-headed monster with Tony Pollard. I think for the Cowboys to succeed, he still needs to be productive, but he doesn't have to be that guy anymore. He can be 1A and 1B. It just depends on who's having it that day, who's rushing it good. So I don't think he has to be necessarily that guy anymore. I understand that. I think that 
I think that he definitely needs to step it up because this offense is lacking a little bit in the wide receiver department. And that brings me to my next person. We got a C.D. Lamb who's wearing the number 88 after Michael Irvin. A couple other great players, Des Bryant, that wore that number before. But he hasn't really been living up to it in my estimation. Dallas, do you think that C.D. Lamb is the true number one in this league? And do you think he can be that guy for the Dallas Cowboys? Not yet. He's not that guy yet. C.D. at the end of the day, right now... He shows a few concentration drops. You seeing him every once in a while. You see him not on the same page with the quarterback. Whether that's his fault or the quarterback's fault, it often seems to be him that's in part of that problem. So I think that's kind of more, that's why I'm leaning towards maybe CD, maybe not understanding the playbook, a little bit of in- intricacies, not on its level that they need to be. But as you said, I think he can. He has the physical talent. We, that's why he was so coveted during the draft and everyone was wondering how he slipped to the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. He's always had the physical talent. We saw that in college. Can he all put it together and put that potential to use? He hasn't put it fully yet, but he still has been productive even though. And I think that speaks to the amount of talent that he actually has. C.D. Lamb, obviously a great talent. Uh, First-round pick a couple of years ago. And he has that number 88 number, so there's belief in him, obviously, especially from people that have done it before, people that have been great in this league. So I don't see too much of a reason to doubt him, but when when you lose someone like Amari Cooper to the to the Cleveland Browns, and he's been looking pretty decent there, I think, in the first couple of weeks, it's obviously going to show a little bit. You know, when you have someone... Uh, across the field from you that's going to garner at least one or a second head maybe looking looking over you really intently. It's going to leave uh, the other safety kind of playing off you a little bit, give you some extra opportunities on the other side. So we'll see. Honestly, CeeDee Lamb can step into that guy. I know receivers, it, kind of, it can sometimes take a couple of years for these guys to really step into their true forms. Devontae Adams is one of those guys, I remember, that wasn't that great coming into the league and gave him a couple of years, four, fourth, fifth year, and he was – the man on the block. So we'll see what happens there with the Dallas Cowboys. But another team I wanted us to look at really so far was the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos going through an interesting situation. Russell Wilson's their new quarterback, Dallas Cooper. I know you wanted him off your team this last year in the Seattle Seahawks, but what are you measuring uh, for the De- Denver Broncos so far? Do you think they're looking all right at this 2-2 two and two point in the season? It's shaky. One thing is, at the end of the day, they're in the AFC West. That division is a bloodbath. Yes, the division hasn't played up to its potential yet, but by week 10, I will not bet against Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and the talent of the Raiders, although they've been struggling right now. That's still going to be tough division games for the Broncos. Those are None of those are guaranteed wins. And I would say Russell, he's got to be better. At the end of the day, you're struggling against the Houston Texans. With your whole new team, Cortland's on. What happened to this Broncos finally building an offense around Russell Wilson and finally having the perfect offense to build around him? Why is it not happening? What's going on? Yeah, I'd say it can be kind of early to look at that situation and call it a call it a failure already. They've beaten the, like you mentioned, the Houston Texans. And the San Francisco 49ers, but had some bad losses to your team, the Seattle Seahawks. Only one point loss, but that game was, if you were watching it, that was a slugfest. 
in the sense that defenses were really kind of taking over and Russell Wilson didn't look like he had any answer out there in, in his uh, former home stadium. And then they lose this last Sunday to the Las Vegas Raiders, who were winless at that point. Let them score 32 points on them. I'm really concerned about the offense and the defense at this point, too, for the Denver Broncos, because the defense is supposed to be really elite, in my opinion. They kind of showed it the first couple of weeks, not allowing more than 17 points through the first three games, but then you let up 32 to that, late, that Raiders team, which I've also mentioned is a very scary team offensively. But it's a division rival rival team. You don't want to, you don't want to get it. You don't want to give up that much to a team like that. I don't know. So it, it kind of gives me warning signs. And then the offensive end, Javante Williams, just blowing out his ACL. He's going to be out for the year most likely. And Russell Wilson just not looking like that same comfortable dude. You know, not looking like he belongs out there. Honestly, um, in a lot of these plays, looking kind of disheveled. Michael, what do you think about the situation down there in Denver? Do you think that the Russell Wilson camp should start panicking a little bit, or do you think that there's time to recover? I think there there still is time. You know, we're only a quarter way through the season. But the biggest concern for me is the red zone offense. I saw a stat the, that the red zone touchdown percentage for the Broncos right now is 30%, and no one's even close to that. And that's Russell Wilson's part. That's also the coaching part. So I agree with Dallas that the Russell Wilson – he needs to step it up. But I think it's also on the coaching staff to give him that opportunity. Right now, Davis Mills has more pass attempts than Russell Wilson. That's just, you're paying this dude quarter billion dollars. You need to let Russ cook, as they said in Seattle. So I, th- I think it's both on Russell Wilson and the coaching staff why this just hasn't clicked yet. Okay. Yeah, I can understand that. Someone like Davis Mills for the Texans. Hey man, I like I love that guy, Loki. You know, he's someone that you can you can root for. He kind of reminds me of Oh man, I'm forgetting his name. The quarterback for the the Washington Commanders last year. Heineke? Tyler Heineke, yeah. Um someone you can root for, you know. You don't think that they're going to be the uh, ever a top 5, top 10 talent, but they could be an average quarterback. I don't know. I'm kind of getting off point right here honestly, but the Russell Wilson, I do agree. He needs to step it up getting paid that type of money. Leaving a team that you have been with for the past decade, won a Super Bowl championship with, he doesn't really need to prove too much in, the, in his career, but he definitely does need to show something for the Denver Bronco fan base at the end of the day. So that's going to have to do it for us for the first 15 minutes. We'll be back in a couple of minutes to be talking a little bit more football. Y'all stay tuned. Oh, to intro us, some Bono right there from U2. Sounding real good, but what's something that doesn't sound so great right now, Dallas, you know? It's going to be Kenny Pickett of the Pittsburgh Steelers coming out on his debut at halftime, throwing three interceptions. Man, it was pretty bad. Pittsburgh Steelers looking for desperation at the quarterback position after their Hall of Fame quarterback retiring, Ben Roethlisberger. Do you think this is it for the for the Pittsburgh Steelers, or do you think Kenny Pickett can maybe turn it around? Let me go to you, Michael. Um, Even if Kenny Pickett can like be a really good quarterback for them, they got a they got a tough schedule next four games. Bills, Bucks, Dolphins, Eagles. If they go one and three, that'd be a good schedule for them. So I mean it's too early to tell for me. Rookie QBs are just so hard to evaluate. And I think you just need to give them time at the end of the day, you know. You're seeing quarterbacks like Josh Allen going even further back, Payne Manning, they've had some atrocious rookie years and even second years. And you just need that time to develop. And 
I think it's good for Pickett that he has the Steelers. You know, he's not thrown into the fire of a dysfunctional organization trying to save them. He's got a good coaching staff. He's got good pieces around him, Fryermuth, uh, Deontay Johnson, Claypool maybe if he has a resurgence again, but just too early to tell at the end of the day. Very interesting to say that from you. Uh, you're saying a coaching staff that wouldn't throw you into the fire, but I've been hearing a lot of, a lot of talk about why would you throw a rookie quarterback into a situation mid-game at halftime, coming out, throwing three interceptions, one, one thing I'd like to point out, though, is he was 10 for 13. So he's 10 for 13, but every pass he missed was an interception. You know, you can work with that, I guess. Completed you know, every pass. I guess so, you know, at the end of the day. That's one highlight if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan out there. Maybe it just went wrong for one game. What do you think, Dallas? I think at the end of the day, when they drafted Kenny Pickett, it was kind of a question mark, especially him being the first quarterback. You look at him and physically – the arm strength, it's not world-class. It's not even on the upper echelon of starting NFL quarterbacks. Decision-making accuracy, it was never really the, the greatest at Pittsburgh either. He had Jordan Addison, who right now might be one of the top receivers going in this coming draft, now at USC. So Pickett was surrounded by a really great talent. And now in the Steelers, he doesn't have that elite talent around him, that pure elite number one wide receiver, that Najee is a help, but a running back can only do so much for a quarterback. It does help, but the quarterback at the end of the day needs a pure number one wide receiver. And Pickett hasn't shown that he can overcome that lack of elite talent around him. He's never really shown that. So expecting him to kind of jump in and save the team, that was kind of I don't think it was really a good decision for Mike Tomlin to throw him in at halftime. That, it didn't make sense. He wasn't going to give you a better shot to win the game because he's never shown that. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Kenny Pickett, I didn't think he was really that great of a talent coming out. I mean, he's a fifth-year quarterback coming out of college. I've always had question marks with guys like that. Understanding, well, if he wasn't ready then, what really makes him ready now? I think the NFL is the type of place where you're either really born with it, uh, you got it, or you don't. Honestly, at the end of the day, Michael, do you do you like Kenny Pickett, or do you think that they should be looking for more options, maybe in this next coming draft? I think they definitely should be, you know, looking looking for stuff. He's not he hasn't shown to be that guy. He can be, but we haven't really seen anything to solidify that. And there's always going to be more options out there. You know, look for different quarterbacks in different class, maybe a free agent. I don't think he's shown what he needs. You know, three interceptions. That's never good for the first start. So. I don't think he's necessarily guaranteed to be that guy, and you know they should try to see the options looking forward. Hey, man, only three com- incomplete passes, though. Can't forget about that. I think it's an interesting situation. I love me some Mike Tomlin this last week. I was on this segment talking about how I was going to take them against the New York Jets, strictly because I believe in a man like that, you know, to get his team prepared on those, on those game days. Zach Wilson came out, though, and showed that he had the real dog in him, too, in his, in his debut. Got the W for the New York Jets. I think the New York Jets are honestly going to be a team to look out for, but the Pittsburgh Steelers, I don't know, man. That division's hard, and we'll see where they fall in it. I think maybe third at this point in time, honestly, in my mind. But then we're going to move to another team, which is going to be the Washington Commanders. Washington Commanders, coming off a loss this last week, we were talking about the team that they lost to, Dallas Cowboys. And they're just not looking good so far. Their new acquisition at quarterback, Carson Wentz, not getting the job done for this team. Ron Rivera, 
lot of question marks around him right now and, and his capability to to bring a team back to the Super Bowl like he did with the Carolina Panthers. I don't know. I think this team is honestly done so far. What about you, Michael? Do you believe this team has anything left in them, or do you think Carson Wentz and this squad is really going down the drain? I, I agree with you. I, th- I think it's over. They're like bottom of the league in like six categories. They're just not good. They're, you know, I keep looking back to that 2020 run when, you know, it was a fun team with Heineke. They had a really great defense and they just lost that identity. They don't, they have no direction, no identity. Starting from the top, the owner, worst owner in the league. They have the worst stadium, FedEx. It's always crumbling down on people. So I think they just need a clean house, you know, sit this year out, you know, you're not supposed to tank, but I mean, I don't think they have anything else to look forward this year. They're, they're just done. The Eagles and the Cowboys, even the Giants are just so much better than them at this point. And I just think you look for the future quarterbacks or anything just to try to get a semblance of an identity looking forward. Very interesting point you bring up. I've always been not a fan, I should say, of the owner, Dan Schneider. I think he doesn't really care about the team as much as he likes to say. This is my, obviously my own personal opinion. I don't have any reports on this or anything. But there's been a lot of scandals around that team in recent years, name changes, things of that sort, to where you really look at the organization and you kind of think that they don't really have things down at this point. You know, there's, there's things that definitely need to be worked on. I love Ron Rivera. Best wishes to him. Cancer survivor. That was an amazing story, you know. And I love, I actually do like Carson Wentz a lot. I don't think he's a great talent. But I like his I like his drive and I like his story kind of. He was an MVP before he went down, you know, back in his second year in the league. It was a sad injury. That's a sad injury. Yep. Those are the type, those That's a what if right there. Yes, those are the type of situations. They I mean they went on to win the Super Bowl that year, you know. So it's it's something that you hope for the best for, but you you don't really know exactly what's happening. So if you had to pinpoint Dallas, what do you think is the biggest problem with this this uh Washington Commanders team? As Michael said, I think it starts from the top. They have no sense of direction. At first, it was the direction seemed they wanted to build a dominant front four. John Allen, Chase Young, Montez Sweat. At a time last year, they had Ryan Kerrigan. They had dominant guys up front. They have the same guys, but they're just not playing well now. Whether that's maybe scheme changes or whatever of the sort. They went away from what was the only thing that they had going on their team. The defensive backs, they have not gotten better in the last four years. They were always a great front four, front seven with a terrible back four, and that's not gotten better. Offensively, just the run game. Antonio Gibson, you would expect more from him. They have He's a talented back. They're just not leaning into it, whether it's the offensive line, the coaching staff. Again, there's just no sense of direction on that team. They have a lot of talent, you know, all around. They got Dotson, Terry McLaurin, as you mentioned, uh, Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick back there. Decent amount of talent. They brought in Carson once, someone that should have been capable, uh, capable enough to really run this offense. We're only four games through the season. So, Michael, do you see any turnaround in this team? Also, their best player arguably is injured right now in Chase Young. So do you see this team maybe being able to get back in contention? I'm not really talking playoff aspirations, but maybe make the season an even one, go 8-8, eight and eight, or I guess in today's NFL, 9-8 and eight, or 8-9. and nine. To me, 
I don't know. That's a hard thing because they've they've just been so clustered and historically bad. But like you said, Chase Young is out their best player. He was a rookie of the year when he was a rookie. So to me, I think they can get back into it, you know, get some momentum going, get a little wins. But, you know, I think playoffs out of the picture. So maybe they can establish something going into next year. Look for something to look forward to. Maybe get that defense back again, like you said, that front four. They've invested so many picks, so much into into that. Hopefully they can get that defensive line going and look to the future with that. Last but not least, I'm going to pop this question for you here, Dallas. Do you think that this is it for Carson Wentz? Do you think that if he doesn't get it done this year in with the Washington Commanders, do you think he's going to be a journeyman cornerback, someone maybe like a, even a Fitzpatrick? I think he'll either be a journeyman or a low-end starter for teams. Sort of, I guess, yeah, journeyman, if you count a quarterback like Teddy Bridgewater and them journeyman. Mm-hmm. Maybe even he's going to be a future Kirk Cousins of that sort when he gets older. Carson Wentz has the talent. He's shown it. Even last year when he was on the Colts, he showed that he had talent, and he was making throws across the middle of the field. Problem is now he's on the commanders, and the commanders don't do anything that he's good at, and they're trying to make him play hero ball, which is the old Carson Wentz prior to the injury. He's not that, and I think he needs to realize that he's not that quarterback anymore. Just play within himself, and I think he will be a fine journeyman quarterback. Yeah, I would kind of agree with that, honestly. I think he looked pretty decent last year with the Indianapolis Colts. Able to at least bring that bring that team to a decent position. Jonathan Taylor looking like one of the best running backs in the world. Doesn't hurt your case, though, oh, yes. whenever you're under center. Michael Pittman, too. Yeah. Yep, Michael Pittman and that defense, Darius Leonard. They got guys all around in that squad. But they also do in this next in this squad that he has, he's with right now with Terry McLaurin, I mentioned. Dotson, you got the running backs back there. A decent O-line. So it's going to be interesting. Interesting to say the least. The front four, like you said, Dallas, they were, they were trying to focus on. Chase Young goes down. One key piece, man, can really make a, a, dom, a domino effect for a team. So I, I'll give this team a couple more weeks until I'm really really uh, at that point where I say they're definitely dumb for the rest of the season. But they have enough talent to where I wouldn't be surprised if they turn it around. That's going to do it for us. we got Michael Madrano here right now. This is... Uh, the end of the NFL segment. We'll be back in a couple of minutes to be talking soccer. Michael, would you like to say goodbye? I'd like to say goodbye to my mom, goodbye to my dad. You know, I know they're always watching me, so I got to appreciate it. And I appreciate you, Gabriel and Dallas, for having me on. Great show. Of course, show. Great, man. Show. great to have you, man. Great to have Thank you. you. Hopefully we see you next week. But we'll be back in a couple of minutes to be talking some World Cup and some other soccer or football, depending on where you're from. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome back to the Double Double here on KLJX LP here in Flagstaff. I'm your host, Gabriel Dixon, joined by Dallas Cooper. And how are we doing this afternoon? We're going to be talking some World Cup, uh, mainly the group stages and predicting what our favorites are going to be in the tournament. Dallas, who do you think is your favorite so far? I'm not going to lie. This might shock some people, but I'm going to have Belgium. I think Belgium actually has a good shot. I think that when they have their, what is his name, Michi? Michi Beshwe, he has three goals and three assists leading their team so far. And so far, they've shown talent. And I think that their players, whether they're coaching staff, they have them all playing on a string together, all players on the field. They all seem to be together. And to me, I think that's what is the winning component for soccer. 
and I don't know. I just have a feeling with them. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that team was very dominant in this last World Cup. I have a couple other teams in the mix, but I want to go over to you, go to you over here. Um, I can only imagine you're probably going to have Germany on your list. Where do you have them? No, no, I definitely don't have Germany on the list. <laughs> oh, okay. <Not laughs> no, honestly, all. I don't think we have a good team. I think Belgium is actually a really good guess. I mean, like, it's not that of a surprise. They are second in world list in the moment, so... And it, they're called the golden generation, so it's the last time really mm. to to get the cup. They're always like really close or doing well, and in the end, they just never scrape the cup. Um, so Belgium is definitely a good guess. I would also say Argentina, to be fair. Mm. I mean, you can never go wrong with a little Lionel Messi in the Argentina down there team down well, there. Well, it's not only you can't have only one good game player you know that's for sure but a lot of people are saying at least for south america that the brazil team is probably the favorite coming out of that uh, that group or that country or that continent i should say would you say that argentina is the sleeper or do you think that they're they should be favored well i think it's difficult to say because they're always really neck to neck to be fair argentina is the current uh, copa america winner so they won against brazil 1-0 last year in the copa america um, but also it was their first title in like nearly 30 years. So <laughs> they're always like, you never know where they end up. But we might have a rematch. It could actually end up Brazil at Argentina final. That could actually end up in the World Championship. So That would be an interesting, interesting situation to say the least. I know Brazil has been struggling in the World Cup the past couple of times. I mean, compared to their, to their reputation, they're usually Absolutely. the teams that are, that are dominating on the map. I personally am going to go with a team like France, though. Uh, you got my boy Kylian Mbappe on the team. Um, just an all-around good squad, I would say. Other players that can contribute. Um, Pogba is one of my favorite players, too, as well, so I might be a little biased on the issue. I'm a Manchester United fan. Don't so forget Benzema. You know? Benzema, um, Griezmann. Uh, there's a lot of good people on that team, and I think uh, they're, they're going to give it a run for their money. Well, who do you? Who's your favorite so far coming out? Well, that's really difficult. Like um, Argentina, definitely. I like to watch them play. And France, France has a really nice play. Like always, when you watch a game, even if it's and if it's ending just like one zero, they always have ju just so many good opportunities and just so amazing. Like play, just pass the ball around. You'll be like, oh, that was an amazing combination. Even if it if it's not ending in a goal, so France really nice. I'm also excited to see Denmark play. To be honest, uh, they have an amazing team spirit. And what Dallas just said was like, team spirit is so important in soccer. And they played an amazing European championship two years ago. And I think from that, like the players probably grown a little bit more. So they m might surprise us all, you know. Denmark. Okay. Who do you like on that team? Well, I think uh, Christian Eriksen is really well known. He's like probably the most famous player. He's playing for Menu, um, and... Yeah, well, also he was like, he, he collapsed during the European Championship, so that's maybe probably a lot of people know him, but he's also the captain, he's the leader of the team, and they have like a really uh, young player in the midfield, it's, his name is uh, Mikkel Damsgaard, he did an amazing European Championship as well, so I think I'm really excited to see what he's been able to do, he's just recently transferred to Brentford to Premier League, so um, there's really, there's a lot of talent and potential there, so... Let's see uh, where he can take it in the World Championships. Now, I'm interested to see why you don't like Germany so much this year. <laughs> yeah, I'm, okay. I, I've always been a big fan of Germany. I like their style of play. I think it's very fundamentally sound. 
guys like uh, Mueller, Thomas Mueller, I mean, you can't can't He's look amazing. away from it, and, you know. So why don't you have them so far up there on your list? The thing is, when you actually have them on your list, they're always going to disappoint you. So mm. it's like, <laughs> okay. oh, it's I did not do that. Okay, okay. Um, also, we had a change in, like, coaching after the last World Championship. So um, the trainer, we, the coach we have currently now, he already coached, um, yeah, he coached the World Championship team in 2014 as a co-coach. So um, he basically knows what it is about. He, um, in, this pr in the time in between, he coached um, Bayern Munich. So, and he, he got the triple with them, like winning Champions League, winning the National League, um, winning the Cup, National Cup. So he knows how to do it. So I think they're on a good way, but they're in a transition. I think a lot of young players or maybe player who just need to come into the team and just need to get used to uh, how are we actually working as a team on the field so I think this is just like they're not done with the transition yet okay I like the analysis by you very in depth definitely know that team way more than me and Dallas but Dallas I know you're looking at Belgium and Croatia uh, Belgium has a very interesting bracket they are they're in the same group as Croatia so I believe two teams can come out of the same group yeah do you see both of those teams coming out because they are facing Canada and Morocco? Both aren't really that much of a cornerstone or dominant franchise or countries, I should say. Do you see both of those teams coming out? I definitely, I see both those teams coming out. I, I think continuity at the end of the day, continuity experience, you can't teach that. Players that have been playing together for years, coaches that have been coaching those players for years, it just blends together, and it's a different style. You you see that. You can see a difference from a player just coming onto a team versus a team that feels like they've been playing together for a while. It's not even close. So there's a lot of difficult groups I'm looking at right now um, as far as this World Cup setting. I honestly think that for me personally, I'm looking at this, seeing this France, Australia, Denmark, Tanzania, that's a pretty. It's gonna be a pretty difficult group. Belgium and Croatia, obviously, like we mentioned, is gonna be difficult. But what would you say is gonna be maybe, you, as you're eyeing, probably one of the more difficult groups to come out of? Well, I also think that it's. I think it's Group E. Germany's playing in. It's with Japan, Spain, and help me with a Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Um, Costa Rica is doing quite well as well. Like they won some games. You probably not would have think they are able to win. Mm. So, um, and Japan, like we have a lot of players from Japan in German league and I think all over Europe, they are um, scattered players of Japan. So, and Spain always is a like really difficult team to play. I think this is a really a group you can, you have to watch out for. Like um, I had a look on the, on the groups today and I wrote down like who I thought maybe would be in the first two spots in every group. And uh, with this group, it was, was quite difficult to... Yeah, it's going to be an interesting situation, to say the least. I think that Spain is going to be a difficult team. They have a lot of young, good players. Germany, like I mentioned, is a very fundamentally sound, good team. Japan has been developing, I think, the past decade. They've been better than I've ever seen before. So I do agree with you on this situation. It's going to be really hard, especially when, like, I haven't really noticed, but you're saying Costa Rica is another team to look out for able to come up there, maybe stir up the pot a little bit, make that division a little bit harder. What about you, Dallas? Do you see anyone in this division that you're really looking at? I know Group B, you got England, Iran, USA, and the Wales. But you have some other really good ones, too. You got Senegal, Netherlands, Ecuador, and another one. 
uh, Brazil. Def- I think I have to look at Group A. I def- definitely would look at Senegal. And I'd, I don't know who my second team would be out, out that group, honestly. I think the favorited ones would be the Netherlands at this point, yeah, but who knows? Know. Qatar might be uh, have a little bit of a home, home field, field advantage right there, you know? Actually, no. Like, um, what I've read, Qatar is building a team, trying to uh, really like get far in the championship as you always want to when you are hosting uh, the championship and they have like this huge uh, training center and they spotted talents all over the country or like with like people who have like a mother or father from Qatar so they got them all together there and trained them with like highly paid coaches and all that and they thought like yeah we did it and it actually looked good but like now the quite recent games they just lost and fall apart on the field and so it actually seems that Qatar might miss that goal to go far into the championship. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to say the least. I think Netherlands are a team you have to look after, and Senegal is definitely going to be a strong team as well. Another, another group I think you have to look after for sure is going to be the Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon squad. Brazil is, is the favorited team right now in the World Cup, so we'll see. They most likely will come out of that, that group. But it's going to be interesting. We'll be back in a couple minutes to be continuing the talk of the World Cup. We're going to get into a little bit of USA team and see how far they'll go, make our own predictions and our opinions on the World Cup being in November slash December. Y'all stay tuned. We're back with the double-double with your co-host, Dallas Cooper, and my other co-host, Gabriel Dixon. And we're here with Lena to talk about the World Cup and Kind of it's starting a little late for this kind of event. So, Lena, what is your thoughts and opinions about this starting a little later than normal? A little later is like a really understatement, <laughs> I would yes. say. Extreme. Like it's starting the 20th of November. Normally we have it like in July. July, yeah, like, uh, usually summer. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's like, f- like, also like, first of all, it's really weird for the national soccer leagues because normally, of course, you end season like May, with like the last cups, the national league is uh, just ending, uh, Champions League is ending, so all the European clubs are just going to summer break. And for that, normally it's really fitting to put the World Championship into the summer break because everyone is like off. Um, and now they have to squeeze it in into a winter break. They normally have like two weeks during winter. And uh, now they had to start the season earlier. And it's just a really like different conditions because during winter break, you have like when, when a person gets gets an injury during the world championship it will affect the whole league and the whole next season part of the season so it will count for like the outcome of the of the league in the end and that's just not a problem for european teams because on european teams uh, in the national leagues there are a lot of people from brazil from argentina from the us so you have a lot of international players in this league because premier league is considered the best of the world the Bundesliga is also really good. Serie A, um, Liga, La Liga. It's like these are the, the leagues you want to play in as a soccer player. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the good people are playing there, and it's a really bit dif- difficult thing for them. They had to reschedule everything. Um, they, n- they need to have a break of six weeks. And if your team makes it to the finals or semifinals, you have like one week of recovery till your national league starts. So other teams that maybe just don't even survive the group phase. They just go home and have like five weeks of training, recovery, and they take them they take on themselves in like Champions League, having like a complete different t- 
type of like exhaustion they bring to the field. And it's like 207 players of the big European clubs going to the Qatar World Championship. It's like a lot. And it also affects other sports. Like the list just goes on and on, you know? Mm. It's a very interesting situation. Qatar, obviously in the middle of a desert, gets really hot there in the summer. I think that had played a big part in them moving it or at least postponing it to the November, December months. We've seen other World Cups kind of play in a little shaky con uh, conditions. I remember when it was in Rio de Janeiro, and that was in the wintertime there, but obviously it doesn't snow that bad there, so they were, able to still, they were still able to get it done. This is a lot different than, than any situation I've seen, honestly, though. You're going to be playing in, in, a good, in good conditions, but at the opposite time of the year, like you said, it's going to affect other sports, and at the same time, it's going to affect soccer. Um, it's going to affect the, the leagues that these, other, these players play in um, year-round. They're going to have to push their schedules off a little bit for certain things. Dallas, do you think this is really that big of a deal, though? Or do you think it's all going to work out in the end? I think it, it could. It will work out in the end. They will make it work out in the end. But at the end of the day, this is unprecedented. This is a first time for something like this. And... It starting this league definitely is going to have effects on it. But at the end of the day, I feel that they're going to find a way to make this work. There's too much on the line for it not to work out. There's too much money on the line at the end of the day for it to not work out. Yeah, also they started with that, like by moving the start of the season earlier. They, they already started soccer season in Europe, so they moved it like, I don't know, a month earlier or something. Mm -hmm. So they already made the schedule work because they had to, obviously. At least you want to give your players or the, the national team the opportunity to go. But, for example, like Norway completely resigned. They just boycotted. So no one else does, though. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to do that at the end of the day, you know. Um, one team that we're seeing going in for it, though, not going to back out, is going to be the United States of America, the place that we're at right now. This team, my entire life, has kind of been kind of sad to watch at least as far as the football scene soccer depending on which one you call it i think i think that they're starting to turn around though kind of uh, lately yeah pulisic uh, i think he's definitely the best player i've seen come out of united states since david beckham he's he should lead our team to hopefully a win or two we'll see what happens i shouldn't say our just the united states can't be too biased on this issue the united states though how far do you see them going in this in this tournament um, I think they have a manageable group, so they play against England, Iran, and Wales. I think we can pretty sure agree that England's probably the favorite of this group. Uh, I would say they are just going through first place. Um, so, uh, from my opinion, USA has to tackle Wales. Um, and that's kind of like a bit of a surprise thing, because in European Championships, Wales is sometimes doing good, sometimes not so much. And it's just... Yeah, it's like their first qualification since, what, like 1958 or something? Like really, really, really long ago. Um, so it might be just like a just like a lucky punch. Like a, they had a lucky game and now they are qualified and then they will just fall, up, fall apart during the match with, against the U.S. But also U.S. like didn't do so well the last games, did they? They lost to Japan, they lost to Costa Rica, by the way. They had a draw with Uruguay, Mexico, Canada. So I would say in total, maybe let's give them, they survived the group phase, but they're probably out in round of the 16, yeah. Yeah, I believe it was two World Cups ago when we made it to the 
round of 16, I believe, or was it the round of 32? I don't, I don't, I don't know. It was one of those two rounds. We didn't make it that far anyways, though, at the end <laughs> yeah. of the day. We're probably not going to, I would say, again, Dallas. What do you make of, that, of the United States? Like, like both of you guys have just said, at the end of the day, we hope for the best. <laughs> plan for the worst. Cross fingers. Plan, plan for the worst. No matter what, don't want to get your hopes too far up because we've really never seen them fully come out on top at the end of the day. So not really expecting anything different here this year. Like I said, I think the United States national team has been better than when we were kids in the past, in our parents' lifetimes, you know. And we have good players like Pulisic, some other, some decent <laughs> standouts. But I think we got to give it a couple more years so we see this team really um, start to show fear in these other countries, impose themselves. We're definitely, the situation that kind of reminds me of is like basketball right now, um, as far as the world stage. These foreign countries, especially in Europe, these Eastern, Eastern European countries are really starting to take over basketball. And I think that might start happening with the United States over time. Um, you're going gonna to start seeing more talent come, come out of the United States, but definitely not right now. We'll see, honestly, how far it takes out Dallas. We'll see. It, it might take a couple – it might take a, a while, a lot of years for this to happen. I, it probably won't happen overnight over the next maybe even three, four, maybe even decade for we see. But next, hopefully by our lifetimes we will be able to see that the United States become maybe a soccer powerhouse. Hopefully. I wouldn't bang on it because soccer has been definitely wouldn't. Soccer's definitely one of the oldest sports around. It's been established. A lot of these other countries, that's exactly what they're dedicated. Their number one sports, you know, England, Germany, France, a lot of these a lot of these countries, that's what they're dedicated to. Brazil. Then we're over here playing American football and, and we basketball. We couldn't take you on there though, you know. That I have that's to real. You. That's <laughs> real. But uh, I'm telling you in basketball though, we're starting to worry. Because especially a lot of these other guys were on the same team, these foreign foreign guys, we would definitely lose. Just put Luca, Giannis, and Nicole on the same team, and we're, we're definitely losing. But that's going to have to do it for us. Um, Lena, thank you for joining us. If you'd like to Thanks outro yourself, me. tell everyone. So I'm Lena Zalpza. Thanks for having me here on The Double Double. Of course. We hopefully can have you again next week. Better sign up. But we'll be back in a couple of minutes to be talking my real-life example and a little bit other sports. Stay tuned, y'all. Hello, and welcome back to the Double Double here on KLJX LP and Flagstaff. I'm your host, Gable Dixon, joined by my co-host, Dallas Cooper, as always. Man, it's been a great segment so far. We've covered a little bit of World Series, or not World Series, World Cup, I mean. Some football went over the last couple games this last week. But right now, we got my real-life example, baby. This is going to be all about me. Something that I feel like is significant enough to tell to my fan, my fan base right now, to all you audience listeners. This is going to be something I'm trying to relate to you in some type of pop culture reference, something that you can get any average day situation. You know, we're going to relate it to our sports. So something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is my car, you know. I got a really nice car, Dallas. You know this, too. I drive Dallas around a lot. I got, a, I got an Audi A5. I'm not trying to brag too much right now, you know? I got an Audi A5. It's a nice car. Drives really smooth. Nice interior. Decent gas mileage. I do have to pay premium, though, so that's a nice little couple extra pennies, you know? You got you to gotta think about that. But when you buy one of these, when you have one of these really nice cars, you know, you rarely expect the most out of it. 
It's kind of a big, a big thing with these cars. You don't expect it to break down often. You don't want problems with it. You just spend a bunch of money on something. You know, you're trying to have this car drive smooth, crisp, clean. Any problems you have with it, you're going to be thinking, why did I even spend this, this type of money on this car if it's, if, it's, if it's going to be giving me these problems? Kind of reminds me of a certain situation that's happening in the Nas- National Basketball Association down there in Chicago. Chicago Bulls. Chicago Bulls, man. We have a nice car right now. We've got a very nice car. A lot of different parts, a lot of different pieces. All coming together to make a nice, smooth, efficient car. But some parts have been messing up lately, man. One specific part's gonna be it's gonna be the engine itself. The engine itself is is messing up. And the main component for why it's messing up is gonna be particularly the gas um the gas intake or the thing that pumps gas into the engine. I'm forgetting the name right now. The gas of the car is going to be Lonzo Ball. Lonzo Ball makes this team go. He's, he's what makes the actual engine, the machine, the car move. All the parts look really glamorous. The A5 Audi looks good. You got the nice rims, nice interior. But without the gas, it don't go nowhere. Without the gas... You ain't getting to your destination. And that's the problem with our car right now. That's the main problem, I should say, with our car. Because you have other really good parts of the car. You got the interior, the nice clean rims, you know, the the nice sexy look of the car. That's going to be Zach Levine, right? Zach Levine's that man. He's the one, he's going out there in style. He has that 40-inch plus vert. Hopping over your center, but also able to drain a three really nice. Clean, looks smooth, fast, athletic. That's who I compare as far as the nice little interior, you know, things like that. Then you got to go with the toughness of the car, you know. You got to go with the frame. And I would dare say the engine, even in itself, the pistons. Really what makes that car gritty, I think, is DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan, when it comes down to it, for this type of car that we're talking about, DeMar is the guy that, if you need to, he gets you where you need to go. Even if you hit that curb or something like that, he's still going to push you over, you know? Uh, This is definitely not a great reference for an Audi A5. You don't want to be doing stuff like that. But let's just talk about it. Maybe a Jeep. He's in a reference to a Jeep or something, you know? He's that type of dude. In a combination of those two guys, then you have someone like Lonzo who's able to put it together, right? Lonzo is that gas. Someone that's able to put that car, the sexiness and the toughness, the the torque, you know, the horsepower, which is the DeMar DeRozan, mixed with the classiness and the style, Zach Levine. And then you're going to have other nice components too, like an Alex Caruso, Patrick Williams, which are going to be the, the defense the tough, the, the interior of that team, really proving, proving that he's, uh, that they're meant to be there. But back to my original argument, when you buy something and you get something so nice, you're paying, you're paying Lonzo Ball $20 million a year. You're paying DeMar DeRozan all this money. You're paying Zach Levine $40 plus million a year. You expect that thing to run well, man. You don't expect... You don't expect engine repairs in January 
and they tell you it's going to be fixed in March, and it's October, and it ain't fixed. And if you know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Lonzo Ball and his injuries right now recently. He just went he went down in January for a little minor knee injury, got, got surgery, supposed to be back in six to eight weeks. That was supposed to be March. Now it's October, and he's having another surgery. Shouldn't be back for a couple more weeks. So just imagine, imagine yourself buying, buying a nice Audi or Bentley or something like that, then having to go turn it into the shop because the thing won't even work, and you can't even get it back for months, maybe even a year at this point. Dallas, what, what do you think about this situation? Do you think it's worth returning the car maybe at this point? Maybe getting what you can for Lonzo? Or do you think that the car, you know, you put your time and energy into it, maybe it'll give back. Maybe it can get you, a, maybe it can get you that cross-country trip that you've been dreaming of for a couple of years. I mean, if you know the car ain't going to get you no money back, you might as well get rid of it now while you can sell it. If, <laughs> <laughs> if Lonzo, at this point, biggest thing with him was his, with his play style, you would hope it'd be kind of rough with his injuries. He's athletic, uses lateral quickness, and knee injuries ain't too pretty, especially for NBA point guards. And then for the other parts of the car, they're there. They're solid. It's everything else. Like Lonzo needs to get back healthy and get back in the mix for them. Lonzo definitely is... In a lot of people's eyes, that key piece to this team. A lot of people see Lonzo as that guy that uh, when he went out in the middle of the season, we were the number one seed. And then we fell all the way down to the number six seed. But then we played a team like the Milwaukee Bucks in the playoffs, and we showed that we didn't necessarily were a terrible team without Lonzo. At the same time, I think we're just missing guard play. I think we have a lot of young guys that can step up, and they probably will step up at the end of the day. You got young guys like Ayo Desunamu. This is going to be his second year out of college or in the, in the league. I expect him to take another step. Kobe White. A lot of people had him really high coming out of college. I think we've seen so far now that his probably his ceiling is backup point guard at this point. But really good backup point guard, you know, seventh, sixth man of the team, able to carry duties. Man, and when his shots fall into, it is sweet. That guy looks great. But no one's really at that same level as Lonzo. And Billy Donovan didn't have a system set up really for when Lonzo went down for the team to keep functioning kind of the same way it could because they didn't have someone that was that good defensively and offensively. Because Lonzo. Not is not the greatest offensive player in the world, but he's smart. More than anything else, he knows how to facilitate a team. He's a great three-point shooter now. And more than that, he's he's six seven. Around there, yep. He's around six seven. My man's is six seven. Can play defense and can shoot at the at the one spot. That's a lot of things that most NBA teams today would would be dying for. Yep. Someone like that, you know. So it's going to be an interesting situation, to say the least, to see if the Chicago Bulls can turn it around. But they're going to be starting the season this season without Lonzo Ball. 
on that roster, on the active roster. He's going to be on the bench, hopefully, rehabbing. Rehabbing like he should have been the past couple months, which he says he has been, but I'm mad because this man should have had this surgery done earlier. In my opinion, who knows? I'm not a doctor. But when you have an injury in January, it's supposed to be back by March, and then you're rehabbing all the way until October. Doesn't that show you there's, there's, there's a sign that there's a problem? Maybe something else should be looked at, fixed, taken care of? Instead of we're looking at him missing a couple more weeks and it's October, season's supposed to start in a couple weeks. I don't mean to get so down on you guys. Chicago, Chicago Bulls should definitely still be a good team. But I don't know how far their ceiling, I don't know what their ceiling looks like this year when a guy like Lonzo Ball, who is the key to the puzzle, the last piece of the puzzle, isn't coming through. It's going to be very tough this year, especially with the really talented Eastern Conference this year. Eastern Conference 1 through 8 is going to be very, it's going to be a bloodbath, that 1 through 8. Yeah, you have teams like, you have teams like the Cleveland Cavaliers, who I even saw last year coming as a team to be reckoned with. Adding pieces like Donovan Mitchell. And then you also have Brooklyn Nets, who I think probably are going to look better this year. Same with the Philadelphia 76ers. So it's going to be a tough one, man, to say the least. We'll be back in a couple minutes to be talking a little bit more sports. But you all know what it is. Stay tuned. Welcome back on your Wednesday night double-double with your co-host Dallas Cooper and my co-host Gabriel Dixon. Back after his real-life example Talking about the Chicago Bulls and Lonzo Ball, that was a great real-life example using, kind of comparing it to sporting a fancy car and how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I hope uh, we were looking right there, and it seemed like my vocals might have been a little too high in that last segment. Hopefully we didn't blow anybody's ears out. Ho- hopefully not. Hopefully <laughs> not. Well, we got Thursday night football going on tomorrow, and we got... The Colts and a quarterback that we were just talking about earlier in a couple segments ago, Russell Wilson and the Broncos. So, Gabe, who do you think is going to come out with a W tomorrow night? A very interesting game. I think it's a must, must win for the Denver Broncos, honestly, at the end of the day. I think most people see the Indianapolis Colts kind of as a team that's already done this year, too, as well. Matt Ryan not really getting it done up there in Indianapolis. But at the end of the day, Jonathan Taylor is out. That's another that's another loss for the Indianapolis Colts. So I think this puts even more pressure on the Denver Broncos to come away with that W. They're two and two right now, right uh, uh, in the AFC West, arguably the hardest division in football. You got the Kansas City Chiefs, Las Vegas Raiders, and the Las Las Vegas Raiders and Los Angeles Chargers in that division. There's no room to slip up. All those teams are, gonna, are looking for at least ten wins, honestly, this year. Las Vegas Chargers or Las Vegas Raiders probably not, but eh, we'll see. We'll see what we'll happens see. to them we'll at see. the end of the year. But I think this is a big game for Russell Wilson himself, honestly. And I want to ask you, Dallas, as a as a Seattle Seahawks fan, how important is a game like this to Russell Wilson? Do you think this is gonna maybe even make and make or break his career here with Denver, or do you think this might just be another sun or another Thursday for him? I don't think this will make or break his career, but I think this has potential to kind of set precedence for the season. Going into the Colts team that is banged up, their best players out, their defense is still not a slouch. They have DeForest Buckner, you have Shaquille Leonard, 
you have some defensive backs back there. Yeah, uh, I think it's Kenny Moore. They have some players back there that have talent on the defensive side of the ball. This is not going to be easy. And the defensive scheme that they run typically is the scheme that Russell Wilson traditionally has a lot of trouble with. So that could be something to watch out for. But if the Broncos don't look good this game and the offense is a lot like the first couple weeks sputtering, it's going to be very interesting to see what starts happening with the outlook on maybe the coaching staff around the Broncos. And another interesting fact is maybe backup running back for the Colts, Philip Lindsay, former 1,000-yard rusher for the Broncos, mm. could get his name called. So that will be interesting to see. Maybe he'll go against his former team if his name is called, and hopefully he'll show it to them for letting him go. Man, that's a big deal, too. I didn't even think about that. With Jonathan Taylor out, Philip Lindsay set to be the premier back there with the Indianapolis Colts. As you mentioned, he was a great, great, good running back. I shouldn't say great, good running back for the Denver Broncos the past couple of years. Before last year, he was with them. And he's actually a, a native Colorado, Coloradoan. I don't know exactly how they say it down there. But he's from Colorado. Put, the, put his heart and soul into that team. And I remember for the first year when he was with the Denver Broncos, he was still sleeping on his mom's couch. Going to going to practice, coming back, and he was the third third string running back. Made his way up to the first string. He he was a beast. Thousand yards. He was a beast. His first two seasons, he was a thousand yard rusher. A lot of times, these running backs can be slided. I think it's probably the most abundant position in the NFL yeah. where you could just throw someone in and have them work it out for one game or two games or whatever you need to do. But a guy like Philip Lindsay is, in my opinion, a starter in this league. I think he's someone that could get a thousand years this year in the right situation. Definitely. And to this last point, this might be going a little off topic, but to that last point of running backs being a little overabundant, do you guys remember the Rams Super Bowl when C.J. Anderson all of a sudden became the top Ooh. back? C.J., yeah. He got called from game. the couch straight into the playoffs and became the best back in the playoffs for that, that year. That case in point should show it's more... Most of the time in the running game, it's a lot of the offensive line doing a lot of the work and the running back feeding off of that. But with our next thing we're going to talk about, we, got, we had an interesting basketball game going on yesterday. Not a lot of people may have really watched this. This was a lesser-known game. This is between a French national team and an NBA G League Ignite team. But the two top draft picks for the upcoming 2023 draft class, Victor Wembanyama and we have Scoot Henderson. Both those players put on an absolute show. I'm pretty sure Victor had 37 points on seven threes with five blocks. Scoot Henderson, 22 points. I'm pretty sure he had around eight assists, five rebounds. All around point guard plays much bigger than six foot two. And did I say Victor was seven foot or was seven threes also is seven foot four tall. That's seven insane. 7'5 is what they're or trying to say now. 7'5 is what they're trying to say now. That is game-breaking. Yao Ming level. And this man has a handle. There's one very viral video going out right now all over social media of him taking it up court. Having a nice little shimmy move looking like Pascal Siakam, but 10 inches taller. And really just giving it to the defender. A lot of people are auto automatically assuming this man's going to be the number one overall pick in this next draft. But Scoot looked really good, I would say. If you're watching that game, you saw Scoot, too, with a oh, nice wow. little back, uh, nice little uh, behind-the-back step-back on, on Victor. 
pulling the three in his face. He even had a couple layups in Victor's face too. Showing, showing a couple, showing his skill set, showing everybody. Listen, I, I deserve to be talked about in that spot as well. So, do you think Scoot maybe has a potential chance to be better than Victor? The potential chance, definitely yes. I think, honestly, I think it's more, more likely that Scoot becomes the better player. It's more than likely he will just because he's a guard. A seven-five big is not something that we've really ever seen. So it's hard to it's, it's hard, hard to, to say. Imagine, it's hard to know? imagine. Mm -hmm. It's hard to even implement it into a team. Like how how would you really play him? Is he too skinny for a certain position? Is he too tall for certain spots? But again, the potential of that is definitely worth that number one pick. If you do put that together, seven foot five shooting threes is literally two K level. Man, that's what I was saying to you before we started here today. I was saying, this this guy looks like someone you'd make right out of a 2K game, bro. I mean, you, you head down to the park. If you ever played 2K, you already know what it is. Go out there and you're playing a little 2-on-2s or something. You're expecting, you're expecting. all right, I'm, 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 I'm guarding the center, right? Yep. You know, I'm not going to guard him on no, on no three. All Bam. of a sudden, the guy is driving as hard as he can to left side corner, you know, and then fade away three on you. He's six, seven, two. You're like, what is going on? And he got handled. That's exactly what this guy Victor is like. He's someone that almost reminds me of like how, how game changing it was to have Michael Vick in 08 Madden, you know, just like someone that totally the breaks the game. Um, as far as talent, the way the game is seen, because at a, a guy like this, man, like you, it almost reminds me of Kevin Durant is is three, four inches taller. Definitely. This is going to be an interesting thing I'm going to bring up, but I think we're at that generation where now the kids, you look at the generation kind of right now and before, it was kind of LeBron, right? You saw nowadays the Lucas of the world, the Giannis's, the six-foot-nine playmaker ball handlers. Now it's the kids looking up to Kevin Durant, the big men saying, I don't want to get in the post. I'm seven foot one. Why can't I just shoot it over everybody? They grew up idolizing Kevin Durant with the ball in his hand at seven feet. So now these other seven footers are now growing up saying, I want to be just like Kevin Durant. Kids like Steph too out here. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Mm. They're, they're idolizing after these newer players and it's going to be game breaking in the next five, 10 years. We're literally seeing evolution in basketball right before our eyes. Yeah, a lot of people automatically assuming this kid Victor is going to go number one overall. It's going to be interesting. People at that size, you always got to worry about how they're going to look when they get to the NBA level. Injuries, too. Injuries. The game, 82 season, you know, it's a lot different than anything these kids have seen before, especially at that size. It depends on the player, you know, usually. Sometimes you can come in and be fine being that skinny. Sometimes you'll get bullied your first couple yep. of years. I don't think it will ever be like, it's not like football, in my opinion, yeah. where you're Justin Fields and, like, your first two years can really, ru like, ruin you. And, like, you can, like, actually not be a good player anymore, you know? And the thing in the NBA, you can go through some really hard times. You'll figure it out most Carl likely. A lot of people thinking that Chet Holmgren's going to have a hard time coming in the NBA. I think he probably will his first year. He'll probably get bullied a little bit yep. whenever there's actually a big man on him, you know, someone that can post him out. I can, I, I would not want to see Zion go right oh, at that no, kid. Yeah. <laughs> that's definitely yeah, yeah. not the matchup they want for him. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's, that's not what you want. But then you see people like Kevin Durant come in, Kristaps Porzingis when they come in, these seven-footers who are lengthy, skinny, 
not really mu- much muscle in their bones, even to this day, not that big. But they figure it out. They're solid NBA players, if not greatest in their class. So, best of luck to you, Victor. And uh, Scoot, I think I think uh, Dallas there. has something to say, honestly, when it comes to you might be better, honestly. I think you have all you have all all what you need. If only you were six six is usually how it's, it goes in the NBA. You know what I mean? Being six two, you can only impact the game in certain ways. But then you see people like Steph, it's possible. You know, you can really it's a different NBA than what we've what we've uh, grown up to. It's interesting too watching Scoot. He's he's only six two, but he plays like he's six foot four, and he's muscular. I, he's he, a big guy. He's though. a big guy at six foot two. He's not skinny out there. He's he actually had a play where he kind of went into the chest of Victor and kind of shoved him off a little bit, and he's over a foot shorter than him, yeah. finishing at the rim. And let's can, you be, imagine, can you imagine that you're six two and dude, someone's over a foot taller than you? And he said, "Bet." <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Bet." That's easy. Scoot's different. Scoot's he, different. Victor's different. Is he better than Jaw when Jaw was coming out of college? Probably. I Scoot. think so too. Scoot? Yeah, I think probably. so too. I mean I loved I loved Ja when he was on San Diego's was he on San Diego State? Oh Murray State, Murray State. Murray State. That's what he was. Um I remember in the tournament went off. He went off and he was it was clearly between him and Zion for as far as talent, which one you would pick. A lot of people a lot of people were saying Jaw at the time too. Yeah. And I don't think if you pick Jaw at that point in time, anyone's looking at you sideways today. I honestly, this that might that would have been one of those drafts where one and two was a win-win. Yeah, it was a win-win. I mean, honestly, at this point in time, I'd rather have Jaw just strictly because of health. Yep, for health. But if both are healthy, I don't know how you say no to Zion. Dude, twenty-nine on seventy percent is insane. That guy is a beast. That guy's a beast. But that's gonna have to do it for us, Dallas. Oh, it's been great here on the double double this Wednesday night back in the MIC. It's been great, man. How about you, Gabe? How are you? How has been tonight? Amazing. Talked all around soccer, football, basketball. Got a little bit of everything in, man. Well, that's going to have to do it for us. We'll be back in a, in a week from today, 7 o'clock, next Wednesday, to be talking a little bit more sports as always. Thank you all for staying tuned, and have a great night.